Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Day Zero Podcast. Now, some of our typical live viewers will have noticed that this episode is purely recorded and wasn't streamed. Apologies for that. There's some family stuff going on on my end of the fence, and it's made the logistics of doing the podcast somewhat difficult, which is why last week's was canceled um, kind of suddenly. This week's is recorded, and next week will probably also be canceled. After that, I'm hoping we'll be able to return to a bit more of a normal schedule, but it's kind of hard to say at this point. It's sort of touch and go, so um, we'll, we'll let you know, as always, through the Discord announcements channel. But yeah, this this one is just being recorded, and tomorrow's uh, binary episode is also just going to be uh, recorded. So yeah, yeah we'll, we'll um... go through it like we do a normal stream, though. Yeah, like we will be getting back to our normal uh, streaming schedule, but right now things are in the air for an undetermined period of time. Yeah. So we have a few topics to go through today. Uh, some of them made some headlines, uh, including our first one here. So from Secure Layer 7, we have uh, an analysis of a zero-day vulnerability that was discovered in WinRAR. I believe this was actually uh, exploited in the wild. So... Yeah, not every day you see, like, in the wild WinRAR bugs being exploited. I'll let Z get into this one. Yeah, and this one's a little bit um, little bit on the interesting side. It's uh, not a super deep bug, uh, or not super technical. This isn't, um, it does require user interaction, but it does result in code execution. And the user interaction required on this one is reasonably feasible. Like, it's a common action that you would do. So, just looking at the... Um, exploit uh, without actually getting into how it all works here you can imagine somebody or you know they have the example here of how it was actually being spread or how it was being used to spread this dark meme malware where you know they have some trading strategy on a form they have their indicators or whatever in this rar inside of that rar you've got this screenshot 050723.jpg which looks like a legitimate like jpeg file so if somebody were to come in here um, and double click on the JPEG image file, uh, what would end up happening is it would actually end up executing arbitrary code or uh, .cmd file that's hidden inside of here. I say hidden, it's not like deeply hidden, um, but this has to do with a parsing issue. You'll notice if you have the uh, stream up, you can kind of see the screenshot of what this uh, archive end up looking like and the other content in there. They just had this dummy PDF, which isn't related to it. Uh, but they have these two... They have a file, the .jpg file, and the scre screenshot, you know, basically the same name, screenshot 050723.jpg directory. What you can't see here is that there's actually a trailing space on, on both of these. But the important part is just that they have the same name and there's kind of like some sort of confusion... I'm a little bit unclear on like what the intended functionality going on here was um, and what they what WinRAR was actually trying to do. But effectively, what would happen is when you have this sort of structure in the archive, when you double click on the normal JPEG file, it's again, not the directory, but the actual file, when you double click there, Generally, what happens is it will extract your file, whatever you double-clicked on, extract that into a temporary directory, and then use a shell execute to open that file with whatever the default handler is. Makes sense. When you have this, uh, when you have a directory with the exact same name, though, what it seems like WinRAR is doing is instead of only extracting that, uh, the .jpg space file, 
um, instead of only extracting that file that he double clicked on, it'll apparently extract all of the files that start with that same file name. Uh, so because this directory um, starts with the same file name, it will extract all of the files inside of that subdirectory into this temporary directory. Also, it doesn't keep the directory tree or anything that's inside the archive. So all of these files just end up in the same folder. Um, they do have a little bit of reverse engineering here in root cause where they look this function, but effectively what they come down to is because the flag is set to six, it extracts all these files. Like it, it's not a really helpful to know what it was trying to do or what really happened here. Just that it does this string comparison that really just compares it to uh, that double-clicked file name and ends up matching all of these other files so they all get extracted. Um, and that on its own, like if it's just extracting extra files, that would be annoying, that would be extra processing, but not necessarily an issue. We're kind of the core issue, and I think the thing that you might be able to find in other applications happens is that WinRAR, as it's extracting files, will actually do a little bit of normalization on the file names. So I kind of alluded and, or I directly mentioned actually that the file name here, the screenshot file, um, at the very end of it, there's actually, um, if you were in WinRAR, you'd be able to kind of highlight and see that there's a space at the end of the name, but there is a space at the end of the name. So it's not .jpg, it's .jpg space. And why that actually matters is when um when it does this extraction and the function that actually does the uh, file creation is going to create a file and then start writing the uh, decompressed data into that file that it just created. Um, when it creates that file, it just goes like, hey, does this thing have any weird characters at the end? Anything that needs to be trimmed? And it will trim extra spaces at the end of the file name. So that means instead of writing the .jpg space file name, it'll end up writing just the .jpg out, which is fair. And again, on its own, maybe not an issue, but it doesn't tell anything else, any other layer that it's changed the file name that it wrote out. Um, it doesn't like pass back up, say, yeah, I wrote this file for this or whatever. Um, so later on, when it does that shell execute that I mentioned after it's extracted the file, it does a shell execute. That shall execute when it's specifying the file that it wants to execute. Um, the argument there will end up being this string, the screenshot uh, .jpg space, and it'll keep that space in there because it doesn't know that got trimmed. Um, and because it extracted all those extra files, it'll extract um, inside that subdirectory. Um, if they have like another file with that same name, uh, starting with that .jpg space, um, they can give it another extension, in this case they're using .cmd. Uh, it extracts that .cmd file also, and now shell exec looks and it sees, you know, with uh, with that trailing space, it's like, okay, that exact file doesn't exist, what's the next closest thing? And because the uh, .jpg wasn't extracted with that, uh, with that space on it, um, the next closest thing is inside of that subfolder, where it has the jpeg or dot jpeg space dot command, uh, where it ends up having that. So shell execute goes, oh, that command file must be what they want to execute. And it goes and executes the uh, command file using the normal handler. I want to say it's badge, it might be PowerShell, 
might depend on which operating system you're on. Either way, it's running shell commands um, inside of Windows. Uh, so that's giving them the arbitrary command execution. And it goes a little bit more into how they actually um, escalated beyond that. It included a binary in with the archive that... Um, that it then went and executed, did some other things. It does some of the more malware analysis in here too. The core vulnerability, the thing that I would kind of pick up on is more on that file name changing, that last minute right before it writes the file, it changes the file name. That sort of change can lead to bugs when other layers make assumptions about how the file was written. Um, so in WinRAR, you know, it happened like this. I've seen that in web applications too, where last minute file change kind of create some sort of confusion out of who controls certain files if you have a degree of access, especially with desktop apps where you can just kind of go and inject your own files. Sometimes you can take advantage of those sorts of issues. Um, so, so that's at least the more interesting part of this to me. Like I said, I don't entirely get if there was a bug leading to it extracting more files or if that was related to an intended functionality. And it's just like maybe they should have used a different flag or had some way of specifying they only want to extract one file or something like that. I'm not sure. I'd have it seems to dig more like into. a design choice. Yeah, like it feels like it's very intentional, like, you know, because you can't extract more than one file at a time. Like they're probably just going like just match all the files that they're supposed to extract. And so it's doing this thing that doesn't quite behave how I would expect it to behave for a double click. But at the same time, it's not exactly wrong. Like, there are reasons for it to do that. It might need to extract more files. I don't know how kind of the layout looks. I assume they can extract singular files, but I've never looked into how RAR actually works on that. I don't know. Feels a little bit weird, but it also feels like something that's intended. Whereas these other issues, the last minute file name change, um, that almost certainly is not intended, especially when it leads to the code execution. This does require user interaction, but I do feel like, you know, opening a file directly out of WinRAR is a pretty fair action, especially when it looks like a benign file. Like, I wouldn't consider this a bug if they had to double-click the command file, but kind of faking out a user between opening a JPEG and opening a command file. That's at least a fair bug, and obviously they were spreading malware this way, so they had some uh, some luck with it. And things like image files were a good target, too, because generally when I'm looking through archives, if I see, like, an image file, there is, like, WinRAR does have the in-application viewer, but I don't remember how well it works, especially with certain uh, file types. So if you went with a bit more of an esoteric file type that isn't typically supported in the preview engines, I could definitely see how this would get people. So yeah, I, I, I think it's fair to call it an impactful issue. And it's quite a fascinating issue as far as these extraction type bugs go. Um, pretty much every time in the past that we've covered a bug where it deals with a zip file or a RAR file or whatever, it's your typical directory traversal type issue or like zip bomb or whatever. Um, it's not really a parsing discrepancy like this. So it, it's quite some... cool how this bug works. It is a little bit intricate. And this blog post, I feel like was a little bit hard to get to the meat of why it happened, but uh, how the bug works and, and the impact that it has is quite cool. 
Yeah, I, I also had a hard time kind of reading through this post and really getting, like, what they're trying to say. Like I mentioned, they just talk about that flag, but don't really go deep enough to satisfy my interest in the vulnerability. But when um, they're coming at this more from the malware analysis and all of that, like, fair enough, they have a different priority and all of that. So a little bit annoying to me, but it's a different priority. When we have talked about archive issues before, one of the other ones that we've seen at least a handful of times has been kind of the processing confusions when it comes to directory name, uh, having like the directory and the file name uh, the same, and then it will can get confused over whether or not. Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly how the uh, bugs I'm thinking of work, but basically it would create a confusion in the order of operations going on. Like at one point it's thinking it's extracting into a subdirectory, whereas at another point it's actually accessing it through a uh, like symbolic link uh, or the directory gets replaced with a symbolic link, but another piece of code didn't know. So we've had a few processing issues like that, but this is definitely unique and something I haven't quite seen before. Yeah. Getting into some things that are less unique. Uh, next, we have a post by Watchtower Labs on a chain of issues in Sangfor's app firewall, which advertises itself as the first AI-enabled and fully integrated next-gen firewall and web app firewall with NeuralX and Engine Zero. So just from that description, you know the issues are going to be terrible. Uh, and there's Zero, NeuralX? I've never heard of these things. <laughs> Neither have I, but, you know, it sounds cool, so... That's that's how it, you know, you know the issues are gonna suck when uh, when it's being mark the market speech is so heavy, and uh, there's even some fun back and forth when it comes to resolving the issues. Um, and as I kind of hinted, the issues themselves are fairly straightforward. They're types that we've seen before. It is ultimately a PHP based product using PHP and and C plus plus CGI. Starting off with the first issue, which isn't super impactful, but uh, is pretty funny, is they noticed that when you send a request with an invalid content length header, so like one with a character in it, not only does it send a content to large response, it also includes the source code of the page, including the server-side PHP code in the response body. Uh, <laughs> it It's pretty weird. I, I don't remember if we've really seen an issue like that before. Sang4 apparently said this was intended behavior, which you know, that's obviously bullshit. Um, what they assume is happening here is some kind of logic bug with not handling the content length and the CGI handler correctly. Um, the issue was ultimately lower impact because they couldn't access config files or anything that might have more sensitive data in them beyond the source code. But it was it was quite a funny issue nonetheless. Yeah, like source disclosure never feels like it should be an intended feature of an application or like, you know, no. working as expected, especially that it's like, yeah, that that's how our developers uh, get the code is they just use this bad content. Like, like, yeah, we put this feature. intentional developer backdoor where if you send a bad content like Tether, you can pull the source. It's totally intended. But in fairness, while I don't think this application is open source because it is on uh, AWS as an image, like anybody could pull it down and get these source files. Uh, so I could understand the company being like, well, the source isn't actually all that protected, so we just don't care about this issue, versus intended functionality. So, like, I could understand a certain degree of, or a certain perspective on it, but yeah, it's source disclosure. I kind of agree, like, it probably just seems like some sort of bad air handling, so it never sets up, like, the front end never sets up the, uh, 
uh, like mod PHP or whatever to actually run the PHP code. And so it ends up just serving the requested file, like ending up in that. Uh, exactly. Back in which I feel like I have seen that before. Um, I'm trying to think if it was Nginx or if it... I, I'm pretty sure it was an Apache thing. Although I know Apache has had some other source disclosures too, where like including certain flags in a query would result in it a dumping source that was years ago. But I know they've had a few issues like this. So I think that is in part systemic of how just Apache works and how it defaults to reading out the file. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like you said, like you can argue the impact. It's not really, it doesn't really have much of an impact, but um, yeah, like as how it happens, it was, it was kind of funny that, they stated it was intended behavior. So after they found that issue, they started looking at the services. There were two that ran on HTTPS. Uh, there was the firewall report center running on port 85 and the admin login portal on 4433. What they mostly focused on was that first one, the, the firewall reporting center. And the next issue that comes up is when they looked at the dispatch request functionality, uh, they found the authentication check and discovered that the checks could be bypassed for local requests. And the way that they check for local requests is by checking the PHP uh, server global's remote address against localhost. Uh, and while they tried like X forwarded four and X real IP headers, and they didn't manage to get those to work out for controlling the remote address, uh, when they dug into the the HTTP daemon config a bit, um, they found that there was a reverse proxy add forward directive on Y forwarded four. So by just simply sending a Y forwarded four header. Uh, with localhost, they could bypass authentication and access privileged endpoints. Um, from there, it wasn't too hard to find more issues to get the more interesting primitives. Um, for example, they found this load file page, which would take file parameter, and you could just directory traverse in that to read Etsy password or whatever, or like files that have session IDs in them, which is uh, another approach that they list. Um, they find a few other things as well. So, for example, there's one fun bug in the HTTP handler page where it would take a controller and action parameter, and you could just use this to basically invoke any controller class and public function you wanted to. Um, unfortunately, they couldn't find one to get like RCE directly from that, but they were able to find an interesting write handler to be able to write into an, a SQLite database, uh, which they could use to create single sign-on users and such. Um, from there... Uh, they used pspy, which is like a Python utility for spying on process launches, and found that the username parameter, I think it's like the u parameter from the login page, uh, was passed to the remote login binary, and it wasn't sanitized properly against command injection, so that's where they finally got their RCE. Um, there were a few restrictions, for example, like double pipes and double ampersands and such weren't allowed because mod security was in use, um, but they were able to use semicolon to truncate the command and get some malicious payload and then execute it through the source command uh, and said would replace the page error with the command output. Um, towards the end, they do find some more issues in the admin Before portal as well. Jump on, sorry. I did want yep. to say, I, I did like their approach of, um, so with the login, with that remote login process, um, they noticed or they wanted to get the actual command output so the fact they did go and just hijack the dot or other dot php pages in order to write in their actual payload there was kind of like a nice chain or nice way of getting it by saying like okay if we get a static error message let's replace the static error message with our actual payload 
It was um, clever. Yeah, yeah, it was a fun trick to go about actually getting it. And I did also want to jump back onto uh, where they had access to op- or to uh, instantiate any uh, object and then call a method on it or call a public method on it, that HTTP handler issue. Uh, they were able to exploit that, or they did find one reasonable exploit on that, which was creating new SSO users for like the VPN. Uh, so from an unauthenticated user, they can go and create valid VPN users and go in that way too, which could be impactful for somebody running this in front of, you know, their network. Oh, um, yeah. Sorry. I mentioned the SSO aspect, but not the fact that it was for the like SSL VPN. So yeah, fair, fair shout on that. Yeah. So, you know, fair thing there. Um, it is kind of tricky with PHP and those sorts of bugs. It's similar to what you have with deserialization, where it depends very heavily on what the application's doing because there is no universal like RCE gadget that you can call. Um, but they kind of have that sort of setup where it's any class can be instantiated and then any method can be called in it. And looking at the code, it seems like there's some way to parameters too because they do pull out the parameters and do some set, but they don't include enough code for us to actually see what it's doing with parameters or how much control they have. So it is possible to find some useful functions, but it just entirely depends on what your application is actually doing. Yeah. Uh, Like I was getting into before, they also did find some issues in the admin portal. Um, The one they talked about there was again, input from the login request, particularly the PHP sesh ID cookie value was being used um, to and like executing commands, uh, they were using it to like echo to some log file or something like that. So yeah, again, I found that one really weird, actually. The fact that the yeah, I'm not sure why they would do it that way. Well, especially <laughs> what they're so the command here is this echo login main.cpp is varicode valid when I do get file, blah blah, have the temp slash session. That's where PHP by default stores session files. And then it seems to have like an actual <laughs> error, no such file error. Like it just feels like a very weird command that they're writing to the login log. They are ultimately appending this into temp login.log. I don't know. It feels like a very weird thing because it's not just one error message here. It's like it doesn't feel like a log entry to me, but maybe... it seems very hacky in nature. Yeah, I mean so... the the fact that they're using a um a shell command in order to write out to the uh, to the log is kind of very hacky in nature versus opening up the file and appending to it. Like, that is... Um, it's a very funny issue. It feels like very poorly or very, I guess, hackily done code. Um, yeah, it really stood out as weird, though, to me. Just like, what are they even trying to do here? Like, it does... When I would see this, I would expect it to be like a machine readable thing being outputted like this and then passed into the file. Like, but this isn't like this seems like it's for a human to consume. It's just weird. So, yeah, yeah I don't know. Just it, like uh, it stands out, though. Yeah. And just like a previous issue, it could be used for getting command injection. You simply set the session ID to back ticks and create a variable with a command inside brackets and you can get command execution again. Um, briefly, I'll touch a bit on the conclusion and like a meta aspect of it. So the authors here do rip, uh, rip on the vendor quite a bit for having such low hanging fruit issues. And beyond that, like I said, the source disclosure bug Sangfor said was intended behavior. The auth bypass with local host IP, uh, with the Y forwarded four header was stated as a false positive, um, 
whatever that means in that context. The file read primitive was stated to be an internally known issue that was patched, but Watchtower couldn't find a patch. And same story for the command injection issue in the remote login. They said that that was internally known, but it, there was no patch to be found for that issue. So pretty much none of the issues that were reported were accepted by Sangforce, so to speak. They had uh, some kind of rebuttal for all of them, and it seemed like most of the rebuttals were were not backed up by like any sort of evidence. So fun process all around yeah, and so the <laughs> um, false as i said positives, the issues themselves were ones that we've seen before yeah the false positives here they did mention uh somewhere along in the post that you know they're said as false positives or just like they couldn't reproduce it therefore it was a false positive um i'll be honest it feels like i don't know what the communication looked like between the researchers and them but they did go very quickly here from vulnerability discovered of actually disclosed on, uh, I want to say, the, yeah, I guess it would have needed to be the 18th. I just saw the two entries here. On the 18th, 18th of September, then, that is. Yeah, of September. And then disclosed on the 5th of October. A very brief period, and like doesn't seem like they maybe had any back and forth to try and convince them or try and resolve why they were seeing one as a false positive or not. Um Maybe they did. Like I said, I can't see what they actually tried to do here and all that. It just, it did feel very quick for them to go straight to here's the POC, especially when I assume this is reasonably well used because they do mention that they feel like uh, some country sysadmins. Yeah, editor note, we feel like the unofficial sysadmins of certain countries at this point. I don't know, maybe that is a reference to something else, but my reading of that is that they see this being used very frequently in a particular country, and so can be very impactful to certain corporations uh, in that country. And so probably what warranted spending a bit more time trying to convince Sankfor to fix them, or get a proper fix out, rather than just disclosing them. But, I mean... Well, there, so there was now. one... Uh... There was a few sentences here that I wanted to point out because they say that uh, after a few exciting back and forth emails, we never managed to speak directly with the security team, but to, to the security team via technical support um, and that they were either already aware of the issues or unable to validate them. So it, right. it seems That's... like they decided to go through publishing them because they just they tried to do a rapport back and forth and they just couldn't get one. And so they decided to publish, which is fair in my view. Yeah, like, like their choice to publish is fair. I think once they've received that from... Uh, so I, I do believe, and this goes with bug bounties, although a lot of bug bounties, uh, their policies will disagree with me, but I do believe once a company has decided that this is a won't-fix issue, so that's what they're doing with like saying it's false positive and such, I think it's completely fair for it to be disclosed and let other people decide if it's... if they agree with them or not. So like I think the disclosure is completely fair. I'm not trying to bash them on that. Reading the timeline, I did have the feeling that maybe they could have done a little bit more, but I don't have access to what they actually did. So I'm saying that without knowing what they tried. It does seem like they had something there. Um, yeah, not managing to get a hold of the security team, having you know only technical support. There could have just been that layer of translation going on between them that also created problems. Like not, I don't know if there's also a language barrier here, but translation just the tech support worker trying to rephrase everything the researchers tell them, uh, not necessarily realize that they missed some of the nuance to it. 
anyway. Yeah, and I mean, that's something that we've seen before as well uh, in, in other cases. So yeah, it could have happened for sure. I wouldn't want to rule it out. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, it, it would I would not trust a modern application in PHP. If something's legacy, the like WordPress has been around for a really long time. It has undergone a lot of kind of uh, criticism of its source code. It has had its fair share of uh, CVs being reported. It has been a hotspot for looking at things. And of course, WordPress plugins are a whole nother thing, but I'm more talking WordPress core. I do feel like some of those applications are a bit different, but any modern application, like something new coming out, if it was written in PHP, that's an immediate red flag to me. And on the subject of PHP-based applications and uh, having issues, our last post here is on MyBB. So, Z, I'll let you take this one away. Yeah, so MyBB is a, another PHP application. It's been around for a good chunk of time. It's definitely had its share of attacks, its share of issues. Um... And what's fun about this bug, though, I I think is it's always fun when you have security features that end up uh, leading to like bypasses. I guess in this case, it isn't quite isn't quite that really fun case, but you do have this check template function. And so the idea is uh, my BB, it's like a form or it is a form system. If you've been on like hack forms, I believe they use my BB or at least they did. Um, and so with that, you can have templates. You can take like my home page is going to have this template and whatever other page is another template. And you can set all that up in the admin panel. And inside those templates, you need access to various PHP variables. Like you need to know what the, um, if you're doing like a, you know, forms thread, the thread page, you need access to the posts that are inside of that thread in order to do something with it. You need access to, um, like all of that information there. So they have kind of their own little templating string thing, which uses the, uh, the, the one I'm familiar with is where they use just the uh, curly braces around and you just use whatever variable you want to access. Looks like they have another thing here with the hashtag dollar sign, uh, whatever. Maybe it's like a shorthand. I'm not exactly sure, but you can see like one of these cases here, the first check and check template is looking for this hashtag or pound dollar sign config and then looking if you try and access uh some sensitive values inside of the uh, database configuration um so you basically just have ways of accessing um variables inside of php potentially getting function calls inside of php also from this if i recall correctly this ends up going into an eval when it tries to evaluate one of these variables so that's kind of how it does it so very dangerous area but these templates basically can access some areas of PHP, but they don't want somebody to be able to do anything they want. And so check template is effectively just looking at the template and specifically trying to match several types of data accesses to make sure they are what they would consider safe. Um, and so in doing that, the first two checks here, one is just a, like I mentioned, the config, the database config. Uh, the other one just tries to match, like, if you're using the uh, pound and then dollar sign. Uh, basically making sure that you're not doing anything too weird with it. It matches if you do uh, space before the... Um... Actually, this sorry. Me mentally, I had read this differently than what it actually is. But it, it's matching another way of calling into it, I'll say. Um, I need to be more familiar with my BB to say exactly what it's doing. 
And then you've got kind of the crazy regex. Um, if you're actually looking on screen, there's a fairly complex regex in here. Um, that actually, it's a PREG match with a uh, the string that's actually being matched on as a PREG replace. The intent of this is to match all of the cases where you're doing curly brace, uh, some PHP variable, so dollar sign variable access, potentially access like fields of a method, um, all of that, or array access, but matching anything that looks like just a standard PHP style variable access inside of those curly braces matches all of those and just gets rid of them out of the template. And then if any of those template strings still remain, they're doing something weird, they're dangerous, and it just rejects them. So it's trying to prevent like function calls and all of that inside of those template strings that will or that will potentially get evaluated. Uh, so the issue here uh, comes down to these PREG functions don't uh, raise errors. When they have an error, they just return an error value. And so what error specifically, PREG replace will return null if the uh, replacement has some sort of error. Now, if your regex is valid, there aren't a lot of errors that can happen. The main error that can happen, though, is backtracking issues. So if you write a regex in a way that can potentially lead to a lot of backtracking, and that just happens where um, the regex engine will try and be greedy about its matches. So it's going to like try and match the whole string that if you have this one thing at the end, so in this case, like it's looking for that curly brace at the end and it looks like a tilde also. Um, when you have that at the end, it's just going to look for, or it's going to match like the entire string and then look at the last two characters. Do they match this? Yes or no? No, it's going to go back one more character. Does it match this? And do that. Um, and so you can have kind of this exponential backtracking when you have a sub expression inside of your regex that has uh, some sort of multiplier on. So that's like your plus sign or the star where it'll match this X number of times. So plus being like, it needs to repeat at least once, uh, whereas star meaning it can not repeat at all. Uh, but when you have that sort of sub expression uh, with their repeat operator, kind of following it, that's at least a start of why, um, or at least one way where you can have uh, some sort of issue here with uh, exponential backtracking, which you can abuse. These are these are already DOS issues, which I don't, I don't think we've really talked about them on the podcast. I usually uh, we or, have I'll had a few topics that have touched on them, but it, it's been a while. Them. Yeah. Um. So I'll just review quickly here. The three kind of conditions that you need met are: you need that sub expression that has some sort of repetition operator on it. Um, you need that sub-expression also needs to be able to match the same sort of input in multiple parts of it. So uh, the classic example is like A+. Uh, if that were just a sub-expression being A+, plus and then some repetition operator after that. If you had like AAAA, it could match just one, or I guess it can match just two A's. It can match all three A's. Like it can match it in multiple different ways for the same input value. Um. And then you need to have uh, something kind of after it or something following the match case that kind of terminates or that can match against. And that'll create a bunch of backtracking 
Uh, effectively, it's a computational, it's an algorithmic thing where you you end up repeating these sort of characters a bunch, um, and it'll backtrack too far, and either you get a denial of service because it's just working forever trying to match this regex, or in the case of PHP, uh, it has a backtracking limit. So once it hits that limit, PRED replace will fail and return null. Uh, so they did find here that uh, the regex did fail, and their example here is basically just it match it matches on the variable axis. So they have like dollar sign A and then zero zero zero, and they have several thousand cases of just accessing index zero followed by the end bit. So it just ends up matching that end bit. And then it has all these zeros to backtrack through uh, in so many different ways, you know, exponentially growing for each one. So it hits that backtrack limit, ultimately resulting in this PREG replace going to null. So this becomes a null. So when this PREG match happens where it's looking like, hey, are there any template strings left inside of this? Well, is there anything left inside of a null string? No. So it just keeps going and returns false. In this case, returning false is a good thing. That means check template didn't find any issues and it's okay to continue. If it returned true, that's a problem. Uh, so effectively, they've uh, used this REDOS to bypass a security check, uh, which honestly I think is a pretty fun, a fun bug. Um, you know, I can't really say that the bug is caused by the security area in this case, because if they didn't have the security check, there wouldn't be anything to bypass in the first place. Uh, but it is one of those things that it's kind of fun to see. And just a reminder, you've got to check your error values. You can't just assume things are going to work out. And ultimately what their fix was, was that they do, they check that the uh, peer egg match on those first two things does have the, or is equal to zero exactly. And then when it comes to the uh, last condition there where it does the replace, they do the replace separately. Um, and then they make sure that it's, uh, well, in this case, they're checking for it to be equal to null, in which case there's an issue, or, um, or that it doesn't exist, checking the proper return values there. So they're checking their return values, and that's, you know, fixing this issue rather than just trusting it's going to work out. So pretty classic issue in terms of not checking return values, although it is a nice little escalation of that RE DOS, which is usually just a denial of service. Um, so definitely keep your eye out for this sort of pattern of PREG replace um, being null or being able to get nullified. Um, it does feel like that's something that I've maybe overlooked in the past. Um, I guess I should also mention, while I did kind of talk through the cases that make a PREG match or like the regex, sorry, vulnerable to this sort of REDOS, there are a ton of REDOS checkers out there. Uh, one that the author of this post links out to is this Davina.io REDOS checker. You paste in the uh, regex and it'll just come back and tell you, hey, there's, you know, this problem with it or not a problem with it. It looks for exactly these sorts of bugs um, and can tell you if that bug exists. A lot easier than trying to read regex manually. I tried to get through this one, figure out exactly how it was vulnerable, but uh, much easier to paste it into something like this and have it uh, kind of test it and tell you if it's vulnerable or not. Because um, honestly, reading a lot of these 
reading regex is a pain like this regex unfortunately those of you just listening can't see it i'm not going to spell it out um it was just yeah, a massive a thing to figure out yeah um, and that feeds perfectly into what i was going to say which is this is a good case example of like an area where you shouldn't be using regular expressions in this way to do your checking. Um, now I, I kind of understand like they're working on templates here, being able to edit and create templates in form software is considered a pretty privileged capability. Um, but still like, yeah, do using these really long re regular expression strings. Like I think in a lot of people's cases, when they're reviewing code, they'll just see that and and kind of assume that it works subconsciously. Like they won't even put much thought into what kind of like how many people are going to read this and think about backtracking as an issue. Like probably very few people. Um, so. so I think CodeQL will actually automatically pick it up as a potential issue. As the DOS, it won't necessarily pick up the secure mm. the other security. Like account. the implications, yeah. But there are automatic checkers that do that. And that is actually, I think, a decent place for those automatic checkers. Yeah. But basically, whenever we see these kinds of bypasses, it's always like these really complicated regular expression strings that the implications aren't considered of. Um, so yeah, I mean, as soon as I'd seen the code snippet in this post, I was like, oh well, I think I know where this is going. <laughs> uh you know it it wasn't too surprising or anything so yeah like i wouldn't be surprised if there's just a problem in the regex too but i mean that that too with yeah. templates it does need to be able to access these things so one option is uh using kind of a more external templating language where you can pass in the data you want to have access to um so that's like when you when you tend to see things like mustache with uh handlebar i think it's handlebars uh jinja and python um some of those things you tend to pass in the data to it rather than giving it access to the entire scope of the application that's where i feel like php's setup and this sort of setup goes wrong is you know they get access to everything and when it's getting evaluated like it can just call functions their actual payload here um let's see here did like this database insert and then it got into calling just another eval on whatever it wanted. Um, so it just needed a function to kind of get called and then they used the uh, conditional operator um, to actually put in where their payload would be. Uh, but yeah, definitely overly powerful. Um, but very common inside of PHP applications is to just evaluate whatever you want and it'll pull out the value from local memory or from the local scope yeah or global scope and, if you want to access something like that and i think to be fair the particular situation that happened here is probably pretty context specific um i don't know how often you're gonna run into the same issue in other types of applications like form software in general is just kind of its own beast it has a lot of features that are just inherently dangerous in nature and have to be handled super carefully. So maybe, maybe it's not something too. you'll see in too many other areas, but like you said, it's something that might come up. Um, the, the preg family of like the, the regular expression family of functions is used fairly often throughout PHP. So it might crop up in other places too. So I do feel like I've seen this pattern of a pure egg match with a pure egg replace inside of it a number of times. And that's where you can at least potentially have these incorrect uh, conditionals. Um, 
So that's kind of what I was thinking of. Like, it may not lead to an eval like this one does. It's a fairly serious area for it to be. But this sort of pattern isn't uncommon. It's not the most common way of going about it, I'd say. But it's not an uncommon pattern. And so if that replace pattern is uh, vulnerable to an REDOS, you can potentially pass or fail uh, certain matches as you'd want them to. Like, that could be something to use to your advantage. Um, not necessarily as impactful. Yeah, as you said, context-specific. But it is it is some kind of a pattern that I've seen, just not necessarily leading to or being used before some that gets evaluated. So we do have two shout-outs to wrap up the show. Um, I believe both of these are yours, Z, so I'll let you go through them, and then we'll wrap it up. Yeah, two shout-outs. Uh, one, how to build custom scanners for web security research automation. This is coming from James Kettle. Uh, two, we have covered... I want to say we almost cover every time he posts, or at least shout out every time he posts. In this case, he's really just talking about some of his process for building custom scanners on the web for web things. Um, from it, It's not super deep, it's not super technical, but he does talk about a few things, like uh, his triage. Um, one of the things he talks about in here is just like not overcommitting, which I think is a problem where you try and do too much with whatever tool or scanner your bill you try and automate everything and all that he talks about a little bit about like not trying to do everything just having it to start just assisting with the manual testing in like the smallest way and building up from there just talks about a bit of a process and all that there's some interesting insights here obviously he's built a number of tools um i'm not sure if he is actually involved with the direct development of burp but obviously he's built things like turbo intruder and things that have been used inside of burp um or is Turbo Intruder actually built into Burp? I was thinking of the plugin, but maybe it's not. Maybe it is built right into it. Either way, I mean, he works for Portswigger, so I'm sure he yeah, has a good degree of involvement there regardless. Um, point being, you know, he's definitely got a lot of experience in that realm. There were some good insights from this. Nothing to really cover as like a vulnerability or novel research to call out, but worth a read if you're interested in building some of your own tooling. And the other shout-out I've got was a post, actually, I guess, from uh, June 17th, during the summer, exploiting HTTP parsers' inconsistencies. Uh, and this is kind of some that could be more of a reference work. What ends up talking about, uh, the first part of this ends up talking about how um, a lot of your HTTP frameworks, um, or even your uh, front-end, like, Nginx, will do some normalization of path names or of like whatever path is trying to be accessed. So um, Nginx would have a trim implementation that tries to trim the string down, you know, so you don't have certain trailing characters. Uh, whereas Flask in PHP, Nodes, uh, HTTP uh, library and all that, they'll have their own implementations of strip or trim or something else doing that. And there are inconsistencies between them, which they call out where... I believe they call it here like using for Node.js if you pass in the backslash x a zero character, um, which I think was just like a lowercase a with an accent and extended ASCII. Um, passing that in at like the end of your path, Nginx won't remove that. So if you have this example of like a location ad slash admin denial, um, 
Engine X will look at this and be like, well, no, you've got this other character right at the end of that, so you're not trying to access the admin directory, so it's okay. But then when it hits node, node's trim function will remove that character and you will make your request to admin. Um, and this talks about different tricks like that um, through, say, node. Flask has quite a few potential bypass characters. Um, Spring Boot. Um, and one of the other things that they talked about was line folding with HTTP. Um, or with HTTP headers, where you have a single header. Uh, and if you have long values, some systems will support basically doing a new line or, well, carriage return and new line. And then a tab character at the start of the next line to say this value is actually still part of the previous header. Um, then it turns out they're pointing out here that the AWS WAF uh, doesn't seem to handle those. So um, if you're sending something into, I believe, Node and Flask both support that, you can get header values that AWS WAF might be examining, but it'll only examine the first part of it. They use the example here of an X query. Uh, using the tab and then putting a SQL injection in there. Um, and then when the, the request actually comes into Node, the X query will have the whole SQL injection and getting through the WAF in that way. Uh, just There's a bunch of little interesting tricks that this could just work as a reference if you're going up against, say mostly this is going to be useful if you're dealing with a WAF, if you're dealing with something that's trying to prevent access to a particular path, something like that. Um, it could be an interesting reference. There's definitely a few ideas here that are worth exploring. All right. So that's all the topics that we have for today. Thanks everyone who uh, tuned in to the VOD, at least. Uh, previous episodes can be found on Twitch, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more links on Anchor. Uh, our Discord and Twitter links are also down in the description. Once again, next week's set of episodes will be canceled. Hopefully the week after that, we'll be back to our regular streams, but I, I can't make promises on that. Uh, you know, as per usual, keep an eye on the Discord channel for information on that, and we'll see you the next time we're able to go live.